Hello and welcome to the official Copper and Blue podcast. It's episode eight. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining alongside me are my lovely co-hosts, Shona Hickmore and Corey Travers. The Oilers, once again, only had a few games this week of the split series between the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers win the first game 4-3 in a thrill, or 4-1, sorry, in a thrilling uh, third period comeback, and they drop the second game 4-3 despite a late-minute comeback. I thought it was uh, the closest we've gotten to playoff hockey since 2017. What did you guys think about those two games? Absolutely. I mean, those were extremely tight-checking games. Uh, exciting as hell. Um, it was nice to get one out of two. I think we all agreed last week that we'd be impressed. Not necessarily. I mean, obviously you want the sweep, but if they just played Montreal better than they had been playing them, which was pretty poorly. Uh, the one thing that I would say, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later, is that it looked a lot like playoff hockey because there was no fucking penalties getting called at all. <laughs> And the swearing starts with Corey this oh, episode. I completely yeah. condone oh, the swearing. The tag anyway. Especially with officiating. I was very livid with how the both games were called. I think it was an absolute joke, both sides. Like, I'm not going to be an Oilers uh, homer here saying the Oilers were, were perfect angels in those two, two games. But some of the stuff that they, they let fly was just ridiculous. And then the stuff they did call. I just, I have no words. I can't believe that that's allowed to be done in a professional setting. That's the thing I will say. That's the thing that always bothers me about refing. And I've got a far less, I've got a more like just whatever blessé attitude towards it. Cause I can't change it by yelling at it. But um, is it like a lack of consistency is always super frustrating as a fan because you can't actually tell, you know, what the standard is. Right. I'm sure it's even more frustrating as a player because you can't tell what the standard is. If I trip this guy or, and you're looking straight at it, are you going to like call it? Or if I trip this guy and you're, you know, if I think about tripping this guy, I look a little shifty, are you going to call me? Right. So um, yeah, no. And it, it, it's definitely, I think uh, frustrating for the players and for the fans. I will say we got exactly what Corey asked for, which is one really good game against the Habs. Um, where they were in control. Next time, Corey can ask for two really good games where they're in control of the Habs, since the Oilers seem to want to appease Corey. And we finished like one in one, which was it's a decent pretty week. good for uh, for a week. I mean, ideally, you know, two and zero would have been better, but at least I thought with that last game, there wasn't any quit. And uh, sometimes the Oilers, even this year's iteration of the Oilers, has have gotten behind and they just have kind of looked lost. So it was good to see that they weren't um, giving up, right? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think this year's iteration of the Oilers has been very Jekyll and Hyde, like, especially <laughs> from coming of behind. The Oilers is very Jekyll and Hyde. Well, I think there are a lot of uh, which child. one's the good, which one's the bad one. They've been a lot of Hyde recently in recent years. Yeah. Um, but, I, I don't know, you know if the if the refs aren't going to pl- call penalties. I don't mind a little, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. No. The the thing that that made me just irate, like you heard from. Edmonton media and Montreal media just just raving over Shea Weber's performance. I'm open performance in parentheses because his performance was just handing out cross check after cross check after cross check. And then you mean quotations, parentheses are, are the brackets. Quotations. I, I'm a budding <laughs> journalist here. I should know that, but you know, when I talk about refs, I get angry and I forget basic things. But uh, they they didn't call that. 
and then they they decide to to ding Drysital on an interference penalty where he hit, hit a guy with the puck. Like it's that consistency issue that you said, Shona. It's just absolutely uh, drives me up the wall. You have any pets, Preston? Because I, I often find that if you have pets, when the refing really starts to piss you off, you just go and you find the pets and you pet the pets until you're slightly calmer and they've like given you the happy eyes or the purring or whatever it is that re- re- rebalances your, you know, emotions. And then you go yell at the refs again. It's fine. No, I had my dad over, we were having a few drinks and it was just, uh, the refs just made me have some more drinks and yell more, so. <laughs> yeah, you're that Them person too. that can't I mean, sit aside. <laughs> we all, I think, are in mostly in agreement that like it was, it was both ways. It's not like the Oilers were were angels out there, and and the the Habs were just running around. But the thing is that the Oilers benefit more from a tightly called game than most teams because their power play is so good. Yeah. So. For sure. Well, and like, I think yeah, so. I, I don't want to sound like a homer and be like, oh, the Oilers got got robbed by the the officials there. But like, if you're gonna call it tight, that does benefit a team with a really good power play. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that fans are starting to really be frustrated about is there's been a lot of non-calls, just a lot of non-calls overall with the Oilers this year based on the, um, you know, the skill and the speed and the, you know, all the the whole, you know, whole package of uh, forwards like McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Like, just because Dreisaitl can power through, like, interference doesn't mean that refs shouldn't be calling it you know and then there's that other argument that uh, you're going to start hearing a lot because it's coming up to playoffs um which how do those work by the way if we have to quarantine going to the states or if they have to quarantine coming oh, to God, us i have no don't, idea. don't even no no that's a that's a distraction we're not a couple going rounds to... before that's even an issue so we'll, <laughs> we'll deal with that when it happens um anyway like that's just let them play like but i think as much as Corey likes his run and gun 80s hockey you know, he'd rather that um, we didn't have the, you know, let's try to kill the opposing team running gun 80s hockey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They did call a lot of penalties in the 80s. I mean, you look at the penalty men in totals back then. It's yeah, but did like, they call them consistently? Maybe Corey? a little less game misconducts. I think that's was. Yeah, think that's that, that is that, true. That's, that's a good point. But I mean, as long as, as long as teams are getting power plays, I don't really care how, how physical the game gets. But yeah. Oh, I mean, they were if you're not going to call if you're not going to call anything, I mean, they say play the game, but like the game has rules. Yeah, there's so, a rule like what game are we even talking about if you're going out there and cross-checking people all shift, right? Yeah, exactly. I the one that agree. you've redeveloped in your head, obviously. No, I love that game. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 one of those uh, delightful games where the rules vary to to suit you. Like you can never lose. It's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So moving on to some standouts over those two games. I'm going to say outside of McDavid because McDavid was McDavid. He was the best player on the ice for both teams. And I feel like we could sit here all day and just agree with that. Um, I don't know. Corey would have said that he didn't have an MVP performance last week. So let's see. Corey, is he back to MVP levels? Oh, yeah. Best player in the world. Not even close. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Now you can talk about other players, Preston. Okay. Cause I've, I, I, I take this chance every, every single opportunity I can. I just love Jesse Pugliarvi over these two games. Like people were criticizing him for not scoring and he goes and rattles off four straight games of scoring goals. And that beautiful first game where he had a great assist to get the teams even on that Ethan bear game 
or goal. And then he throws a hit and gets the puck to McDavid for the go ahead goal. And then he gets a breakaway insurance goal. It was just a perfect game for the big fin. And yeah. I'm so happy. Also that empty net that Devin Shore scored just to fuck with me since I was, <laughs> you know, Devin Shore ragging is on him. good now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So who's our, who's our new target? Um, uh, oh, Chris mentioned- Russell's out of the lineup now too. It can't be him anymore. We're, we're unusually chipper this week because of all we these are. good things that have happened. I, I don't know. I uh, I got my GPA back for finishing my degree. and There you go. Hey, awesome. A 3.91 out of 4. Ooh, so I'm going to be usually chipper this week. Just Better than my GPA. That's for sure. <laughs> Preston can't remember what his parentheses and quotation marks no, are. Oh, that's, that's a miracle. I'm even it's still in university. I've been but, kicked out yet. But COVID didn't tank my GPA, so you're all going to get chipper shown this week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I mean, one, one of the uh, underrated, if possibly, Pooley-Arvey goals, too, is the deflection on the McDavid shot uh, in the dying minutes of the game they lost. And a goal like that, you just got to wonder – like does does anyone but Puliarvi get the net front roll for the power play for the rest of the year? And the answer is probably yes, but like why? Like he is Yeah, I know. I've been saying that. this all year. I'm on the same train as you. I'm watching Alex Chesana, I'm watching Puliarvi. And it's just so obvious that Puliarvi can handle himself in front of the net so much better than Chesan. And yeah. I just don't understand why we don't just stick with him there. So also speaking of players that are underrated and just making me feel not so, you know, with Mike Smith leaving practice yesterday with a, an injury, I had feelings about Mike Smith. I honest to God, never would have thought yeah, I would ever have. Both. I, was, <laughs> I was very worried. And that's not a thing I thought I would be worried about at the start. Of the worried season. about Mike Smith feelings. And I, I just, um, I like to go on record saying I'm very uncomfortable with those feelings. And if Mike Smith could, he's like just finish his year and get out so i don't have to continue to deal with them right because i think i think um for all that i rag on mike smith or for all that we rag on goalies like he um he might not have been a standout when he was playing but he's been solid right and i think that that's really helped um at least especially with the defense you know um like you were saying bear Bear had some good time or good uh, good plays and some some good work in that um, Montreal series and I just don't know if um, we get into that situation if you don't have if your defensemen are too worried about like your goalie being inconsistent so yeah, um, yeah. Ugh, feel dirty saying this but kudos to Mike Smith well, God, I was looking up some stats earlier today I was on Money Puck looking at their uh their goal save above average stat, which is just basically like total value that your goalie brings to your team. Mike Smith is fourth in the entire NHL this year. Oh, it's insane. He's having a hell yeah. of a year. Um, do not resign him. No, no. You, no. It's, it's, it's like betting on a, on a game of roulette. You, you take your winnings and you're happy about it, but just don't gamble those winnings again. Okay. Cause it's probably not going to happen twice. I'm just uh, saying that's that's... Do, you know, then you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> play one more spin. Uh, don't don't just, don't give just, in don't give ken holland any more push into that direction as he's already yeah. stated he might <laughs> but i'm just uh i'm really surprised about how pleasantly surprised i am with mike smith i'm a little worried with koskinen being week to week and still we still haven't seen stalic really so you know <laughs> yeah 
no, he's our he's our guy right now. Running into the playoffs into the stretch, it's it's Mike Smith's net, and I don't think anyone will argue that. Some of the other uh, news that came out this, over the weekend here is Oscar Kleffbaum had a press conference for the first time in quite a while. I think it's the first time since he's had shoulder surgery, and in there he's had a few interesting things. Most notably, there is no guarantees that he ever plays NHL hockey again which I think has some huge ramifications on the upcoming Seattle expansion draft. Um, I was reading earlier today on Cap Friendly that injured players with potential career-ending injuries and who have missed the last 60-plus games could possibly be exempt from that list. Now, I'm not sure that that's been official for Clefbaum quite yet. I think he's still um, someone who needs to be exposed. But down the stretch here, I think he could probably fit that bill. The other thing I think is that I really, well, let's preface this today. I really hope that that is not the case. Like I like Clefbaum and I think he brings something really valuable to the Oilers. Um, But I think like going out there and baldly saying it like that, like I may never play NHL hockey again. And like having him say it instead of having a team representative or whatever say it um, causes people to maybe think twice. Do I want, even if he is exposed do I want to pick this potential, um, you know, it's not, then it becomes not a, a, a matter of picking a, a player that can potentially benefit your team. It becomes picking a player that may potentially level play for your team, you know, which is uh, one thing if you're picking um, in a draft for prospects or draft picks, but completely another when you're an expansion team trying to, to, you know, you know, pick your, uh, you only get to raid everybody else's cupboards once, you know, free of charge. So you better be uh, smart about it. And I don't think from everything we've seen about what the Kraken have put together, just love that name, which is great. Um, Perfect name. That they're, um, they're going to be, you know, really knee jerk about it. So I think that whoever they pick, it's like, if it's Clefbaum, there's a reason for it. And if it's, I mean, the other one I've heard a lot is Jones potentially, you know, um, there's a reason for it. Right. I don't see them being like a, Oh yeah. Yeah. We suddenly decided we want this guy, you know? Yeah. They're going to be very meticulous about it. They're going to be be a smart team for sure. Yeah. So, you know, as much as I hope maybe it leads to Clefbaum being protected. Um, I'm hundred percent sure that if it does Seattle's well aware and already has their actual target in, you know, selected. Right. Yeah. I mean, Clef bombs a guy, whether he's protected or not. Like I just, I just hope he gets back onto the ice and play some more NHL hockey. Cause you hate to see stuff like that. Oh yeah. For yeah. Sure. And he's such a, a terrible yeah. run of luck throughout his career. Terrible run of luck. Great player. Uh, and he, something you hate to see. You know, he, he, I would really like to see him be able to play either for the Oilers or a team that does quite well, you know, goes deep in a playoffs or something. Because like you all said, terrible run of luck, steady player. But he's been on the Oilers for the the complete wrong time to have like career success. So, you know, being the best player on the worst team in the NHL, or best defensive player on the worst team in the NHL is not like a, a marketing thing. So like, you know. Hopefully if he comes back, he comes back to a team that's Oilers or not ready to go make some noise. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was a stud on that on that 2016-17 team, and I, well, I definitely hope. I mean, I, I don't know how much of this is something that I can actually expect in the future because I'm not a doctor and I'm not his doctor. More importantly, but uh, but yeah, I just hope that he comes back and plays a big role in future Oilers success. And if that's not the case, then hopefully he plays a role in someone else's success. You just hate to see a guy's career, uh, you know, get ruined due to injury like that. But I mean, if if I, I had not heard the 60 game rule that, that Preston just brought up until, until we did a little brief before this meeting and, you know, if we, meeting, if we make the playoffs, which we're extremely likely to do, it's a 56 game season plus at least four games in the playoffs. So you would think that would qualify. So hopefully that's a thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to claim that it is because I just heard it from Preston and he's not even sure, but. Well, it's cap yeah, friendly. I, I read it verbatim from what I read on cap friendly. I think I'm at a point though, and this kills me to say this because I've been a huge Clefbaum fan for quite a while. I own a Clefbaum jersey that I got customized. He's my favorite player on the team for for many years. I think it, it kills me to say this, but I think even if he's not exempt, I I roll the dice and I leave him unprotected because at least that way you have a failsafe in keeping Jones, and at least you won't have to lose Jones and then also potentially lose Clefbaum. I think it's just a smart way to go and. And like you guys said, I think I'd be happy with him going to Seattle and having success or being somewhere and having success. He's the type of player that I would I love to have on the team, but if he has to go somewhere, I want him to go somewhere where he can have play out the rest of his career and, and go for a cup run somewhere, right? For sure. Yeah, also speaking about expansion teams, who gave the Vegas Knights the, uh, the rights to be the best in the NHL again this season? Yeah, They've got the most people. points right now, and it just... And they don't have to worry a, th- a thing about this expansion draft, which uh, uh, I guess that's the the precedent sent f- set from mo- from previous expansion drafts, but it still infuriates me. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to be an expansion team, you either got to suck or you got to play like the rest of us. So, you know, give up a player or suck for like five years, but you don't get to be amazing in your first year and get all the protections of normally like associated with being awful for five years. The only thing that Vegas doesn't have is that they have the misfortune of having to share a division with Colorado. So one of those teams is going to be eliminated in the division stage, which is crazy because those honestly might be the two best teams in the NHL. Yeah, and Minnesota's also clinched in there, and I was like, when did you get decent again? That blew my mind. I didn't think Minnesota was that close to clinching. Is is that division that bad? There's a big step down after Minnesota. That that just blew my mind when I heard that Minnesota. I was like, really? Minnesota was able to clinch? I was looking at that division. I was like, look at all these clinches, and you'd think that like somebody in the North Division could clinch, but Nope. To me, the crazy part of that division is that St. Louis and Arizona are in a dogfight for the last playoff spot. And like without checking the standings, I would have just assumed that St. Louis was well ahead of Arizona, but they're not. Yeah. No, this is a, the division with the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks. So okay, I can kind of see it now. Yeah. And and then like well, uh, you know, you're, said, usually the Coyotes are down there with whoever's the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They coyotes, are boring. Coyotes are not even five hundred. And they're they're in that fourth spot, yeah. so yeah, quite a quite a big of a drop off after Minnesota, like you guys said. Um, the other big thing making headlines today for the Oilers is um, Ryan McLeod um, taking part in a full practice, um, likely to make his debut tomorrow as a centerman. So I think we can all agree that's most likely the third line center role, 
And my question to you guys, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but who does he knock out? Like Jujar Kara, I hope we don't see it for the rest of the season due to him looking very dazed and very concussed. I think he should be shut down for the rest of the season. Um, but I like Gaten Haas in the lineup too. So I think he stays in. I think the odd man out, unfortunately, is Kyle Turris. All right, caveat before people go off. We're still recording this on Sunday. So when he talks about tomorrow, he means Monday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, like I would, like you said, Preston, I would hope Kira's out. However, I don't trust the NHL's concussion protocol to keep him out for the rest of the year. Um, you know, this is still the same concussion protocol that like jo- let Jonathan Taves like just wander his way through it a couple years ago. So hopefully, you know, he's sitting out on the injured list. Um, and Kyle Torres is sitting out in the, uh, you know, scratched list, but uh, Oilers. So maybe I think it'll depend on how, you know, the first couple games go. If whoever's in, if it's Torres or Haas, if the first couple games go really well, they'll stay in, you know, the same as playing hot hand and goal. And if they don't go well, he'll switch them out. So I think you might see a bit of rotation between the two. Um, and then, of course, obviously, if McLeod has any bad games whatsoever, he'll be uh, he'll be the one out. And uh, he better not turn that puck over, or else he's getting two minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree 100 with you guys, um, and on both what the lineup will look like and the fact that I don't have very much faith in the teams, I guess, this, uh, ability to comply with the NHL's concussion protocol. The only thing I think that makes the, the Kara situation a little different than the Tave situation that Shona was referring to is that as long as McLeod plays well, they won't be tempted to try to rush Kara back if he's not healthy. So let's just hope that McLeod plays well because it's probably the best thing for everyone. Yeah, and we should also probably temper expectations. You know, this is a, a kid getting into some high-intensity games late in an NHL season, and it's his debut, right? So um, yeah. we hope for the for the best, but let, let's temper them. Like, he's he's probably not going to be on that torrid scoring pace he was in the, in the AHL, but he'll definitely add some speed and skill to the lineup. Yeah, well, maybe if we got him as line mates from the AHL, we could, you know. <laughs> God, I just want four good lines, she says, for the eighth time. Uh, one, one of the funny things that I saw out of this uh, McLeod potentially making his debut tomorrow is a quote from Dave Tippett, which is, if you think about it, a little hypocritical because he said, quote, if you're a young guy, you want to get thrown into the fire, so you might as well embrace it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's weird to hear Tippett say that, because what we've seen all season long in, is him not giving young guys a chance. Um, and I'm, no, most no, notably, no. I'm most notably referring to Evan Bouchard. No, no, you need to look at the quote closer. He says, if you're a young guy, you want to. Not I will be. Oh, yeah. well, it's a weird thing to say when he's been doing this. I just thought of a... I mean, I'm not a, arguing that. and But what I will say is I 100% bet you Evan Bouchard has been sitting on the bench being like, I want in. So... Yeah, 100% if you're a young guy, you want in, you know? Should Tibbet be saying it with the way he's been playing people? No, 100% Preston. <laughs> but <laughs> he's skating the line of hypocritical because he's not talking about what he's going to do, That's right? Fair. That's fair. I just realized my new theory on Evan Bouchard. Uh, Tibbet thinks he's 35 years old because he looks old <laughs> and uh, he must just think he's a vet. But 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 here's the thing, he loves vets. We see That's Chris true. Russell in the lineup all the time because he's a vet. 
So and Mike Smith got a new contract at 39. Uh, that turned out well, but you know. It's, 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 it's interesting. Um, we're going to be talking about a little bit more about tomorrow's game, or I guess if you're listening to this on Monday, tonight's game, we just talked about the forward lines. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the forward lines and the defensive pairings right after this break. All right, and we're back, and we left off that last, last segment talking about uh, Ryan McLeod making his debut as an Edmonton Oiler at center on the game against the Winnipeg Jets. And now we're going to move Watch, to he'll the debut at like left parents. wing or something just to screw with us. Oh yeah. He's going to play him like <laughs> right wing left. He's going to play everything but center just to spite me. <laughs> Anyways, we're moving on to the D pairings, which have been put into the blender quite a bit. Um, Nurse and Bear uh, was the first line, top line pairing for the last few games. That's no longer a thing. Tyson Berry promoted back up to that top pairing with Nurse. And I think that's a bad move because Barry looked absolutely horrible in a third line pair. So what are you guys thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't don't like it either. Um, Obviously, you know, playing with nurse nurse does a lot of things. Well, that can maybe take a little pressure off Barry. Maybe that's Tippett's thinking, but I mean, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. I don't really believe any of that. I I don't think (laughs) Barry should be playing on the first defense pair. Uh, you know, he's good on the power play. I'm not saying I dislike Tyson Berry or anything like that. I feel like we harp on him a lot, but it's just like he gets a little bit more rope than one of the rookies would if they were producing the same way. And he gets a lot more rope than one of the rookies rope. would. He's a third pairing defenseman who plays well on the power play. And that's there's no shame in being that. There's some value to that. It's not the type of contract that I want in the team long term. So I don't want that. But I'd be very happy with what Tyson Berry was in the 2021 season if all it was was a third-pairing defenseman who contributed extremely well on, an, on a good power play. But it's for some reason, Tippett wants to look at his power play success and for some reason think that it would also translate to five-on-five success, which it never really has. And I'm just, I'm just not really seeing his thought process there, unless, unless I just guessed it, and in which case – you know, it's not the best thought process. Yeah, I, I might get some heat for this, but I, recently I don't think he's been a good power play defenseman. He just, yeah, of course I tweeted about this like a few games ago and right after I tweeted it, he scored on a power play, but he just seems so out of sync with the team. Um, taking shots when he shouldn't be, ruining um, momentum, turning it over. It's just, I think Nurse has played a lot better there recently. So uh I don't think he has much to go on with his recent play. I think this is all just on merit of what he was able to do earlier in the season. No, yeah, I'd say that's fair. I mean, he does shoot a ton, which is you don't want your shots coming from the point on the power play. Um, you know, it speaks to his confidence. He's confident out there, but maybe he shouldn't you know, be uh, confident. You can confidently go out and fail, though. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'd like confident, but I'd also like smart. And I don't know that all of Gary's choices lately defensively or offensively have been smart. <laughs> I mean, I'd argue, Corey, that he's third pairing defenseman, but he, he, he does have the potential to move up to second pairing, you know, if you've got a need to move him up there. Um, I don't like him moving back to the first pairing. Um, and it's not even because I think the first pairing will be less effective. I do think that, though. But I think that moving him up to first pairing is one of those things that, you know, the Oilers do. And it's, it, it's not, um, 
now it's not to get his trade stock up, right? You know, like I would understand if you're moving him to first pairing, you want him to see a lot of minutes and you're trying to trade him, but we're not trying to trade him now. So what's the point? You know, yeah. like is Tippett revisiting this thing that he thinks is going to work every single time? If he is, like Corey said, that's really disappointing. You I know, it's, it's disappointing given how well Nurse and Bear looked in the first game against Montreal. And, and then he just like completely abandoned it after kind of a so-so second game. Well, that's the other thing that I really dislike is the lack of consistency in who gets time to, uh, you know, who, whose lines or whose pairings get time to, to figure out how they work and, and what they need to do and whose don't. So like we've mentioned, you know, um, Jones or Bear, you know, you make a mistake and you're, your playing time is definitely cut, but like Barry or, you know, uh, Russell, or in some cases, even like some of the vets on the, in the forward lines, like, you know, they're not, there's not that consistency in, you know, make a mistake. There's a consequence, you know, cause Barry's been, he's been inconsistent and incredibly inconsistent defensively. And if he were like, you know, Corey was saying, if he were one of the rookies, he'd never see the ice again, you know? Yeah. Even I mean, if you he could was... argue that Evan Bouchard has been better than Tyson Berry this year and Evan Bouchard hasn't played him forever. Yeah, but like... I, I really hate that. I just, I can't stand this. Uh, and this is why I'll never be an NHL coach because I, I don't understand the affinity that so many coaches have for veterans. Like if my rookies are out playing my veterans, the rookies... Even my happen. cats dislike it, as you guys can probably hear. Yeah. You know, but I was thinking about it as, as we were talking and like one of my cats eats or likes to chew on plastic and it's the same thing. Like you're literally doing something, you know, isn't good for you, but you just like doing it so much that you keep doing it even when there's negative <laughs> I, consequences to it. I adore that, uh, <laughs> that metaphor. You just so in, my, in my analogy, Tippett is the cat chewing on plastic and you know, the rest of us are me running after the cat trying to shoot it away from the plastic eventually the cat ends up eating the plastic and throwing up and it's miserable for all of us and then we're sitting there like we told you we told you you'd throw up <laughs> but he keeps doing it mm -hmm. they do it essentially a cat chewing on plastic right mm -hmm. there's probably less um less awful analogies i could have <laughs> For this, but this no, is that's just that now. I mean, Tip is just such a, like a dignified looking guy, and she's a really, really funny mental image I've got. <laughs> the, Sorry, we move from uh, we move from the top pairing to the second pairing, which has the most significant change because we have a new body in there. It's looking like uh, the second pair against the Jets will be Dmitry Kulikov acquired at the trade deadline, alongside Adam Larson. And my initial thoughts on that is, wow, that is a defensive defenseman line that will not be moving the puck up the ice. They'll be ringing it around the boards and hoping for the best. Yeah, I mean, I actually think both of those guys have played pretty well this year. Um, and I've never been a Larson fan in the past, as I've stated on this podcast a couple times. Uh, but I do have to give a little credit where credit is due. I think he's been solid defensively. But I agree with Preston in that the, like, you got to pair each of those guys with someone who moves the puck a little better. They're just – they're two the same – and it's just like, I mean, that, that duo is probably not going to make a mistake, but they're also going to be hemmed in their zone a lot. Cause who's moving that puck out? Like, I just don't know. I mean, 
maybe get McDavid on the ice because he only needs to be the only guy on the ice and he can move the puck out. But the other other than that, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, yeah and that's the other thing like Corey was saying, I don't get. If you have two defensive defensemen who, you know, are really good in their own zone, you've got a bunch of offensive defensemen that maybe don't know quite what their own zone looks like. Tyson Berry. Um, why are you putting the ones that cover off, like complement each other's strengths and, and cover off each other's weaknesses? Why aren't you putting them, you know, in a, a formation that does that? Yeah, like really? I said, like I, I think if, if it, the lineup was Nurse Bear on the top pairing and uh, maybe Kulikov and Barry and then Jones and Larson, I don't think anyone would have any uh, qualms with that. It's, yeah, we would. There's no Evan Bouchard in there. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's calm. a given every single night. But at least, um, <laughs> but at least you have guys that complement each other, right? Less qualms. You're 100% correct, Preston. Less qualms. But don't don't tell Corey he can't have qualms with a lineup without without Evan Bouchard in it. Yeah, but, I love Evan Bouchard, but I mean that, that's a pretty good six that 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 Preston rattled off there, assuming that Evan Bouchard is in the doghouse for for the rest of the season for some unknown reason. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I I agree with uh, I agree with Corey's analysis of that lineup or of that that pairing. I think those are two guys that won't make make mistakes. I think they'll be very good defensively, but um, getting the puck out of their zone it, it might be a struggle at times, especially against a high offensive team like like uh, the Winnipeg Jets, right? Um, so you, you hope that they can limit their mistakes, but also find uh, find the forwards to get the puck up the ice. Uh, lastly, the most surprising thing to me was the third pairing, not because of uh, uh, who's on it, it's, it's who's not on it. Caleb Jones makes the cut, stays into the lineup, paired alongside Ethan Bear, which I thought was crazy because I was 100% certain we'd see Chris Russell stay over, the line, stay over Jones in this lineup. I'm pleasantly surprised he's not, but then I'm going to go find some wood and knock on it like 8 million times. Because um, C. Tippett, Kate, uh, cat eating tape analogy. I do not trust that Russell is not in the like not back in the lineup in two games. But uh, I'll take this little win for whatever is worth. Yeah, take Absolutely. it. Yeah, I, take it. I mean, like, yeah, it's it's not it's not the perfect lineup, but it's, it's yeah. It's I just bad. I hope getting better. Um, I hope for both Jones and Bear that that third pairing actually gets to have some minutes instead of like playing the first pairing excessively. Um, and by excessively, we all know what I mean. Like the first pairing doesn't need to be playing Victor Hedman minutes. There's no Victor Hedman on it, right? So, um, you know, if they balance out the minutes a little better between all the pairings, I think they could, um, they could make the best of this particular iteration of the defensive pairing blender feel like it's the defensive pairing match game and it just needs a snappy little uh um jingle because you never know who's playing with who right Absolutely so. changes game to game it seems all right so we covered the defensive pairings we're now moving to talk about a little bit more about the top six uh the big change there is uh dominic cahoon gets promoted to the mcdavid line playing alongside connor mcdavid and yesi puliarvi and the ryan nugent hopkins dry settle and yamamoto line stays together after seeing some time during the last series i think this is a worthy experiment i think Cahoon has shown little signs of being a really good top six player but hasn't found that consistency and he hasn't played with mcdavid a whole lot this year so maybe maybe he just fits better with mcdavid rather than dry 
Yeah, it's worth a shot. I mean, like we've said in the past, that the second line, uh, you know, it'd be a lot of teams' first line, obviously, with with uh, Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto. Uh, that line's had a lot of chemistry in the past, so it makes a lot of sense to have them together, assuming you want to keep Dreisaitl and McDavid apart, uh, you know, until the going gets tough and you inevitably put them together in the third period if you're down. Uh, and yeah, Puliarvi and McDavid has worked, have worked extremely well as a duo. And that final winger is just kind of the, the one puzzle piece that we've never really been able to figure out until we just plug dry in there and go and go nuclear. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cahoon was brought in to be a top six player. It wasn't, you know, the, they were, he was envisioned to be on, on the dry wing, but maybe this will work. Worth yeah. a shot. It's definitely worth a shot, right? I mean, we've stuck stupider puzzle pieces in that slot, so don't, uh, you know, don't. Yeah, I've heard uh, Drew Shore spoken <laughs> about as that top guy there, and that just wanted to make me vomit. But I'm just saying, like we've 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 sent a lot of, of bodies through that um, that one particular like hole in the lineup. So why not Cahoon? Like. It works exactly. or it doesn't, but at least you know before you hit the playoffs, right? That's... Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a worthy experiment. Um, like I said, I think he's been uh, – he's shown little spurts of being a good offensive player um, alongside Dreisaitl. Maybe maybe it is a better fit here with McDavid, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, wow, you know, we just – we're in the same problem we were in before, so there's no harm. For sure. Yeah. I mean um, – just don't whatever they do i hope they don't force a, a third onto that pairing it's not working right we've traditionally done that too just um hang an anchor up there and be like ah y'all figure it out so if Cahoon doesn't work in the next two games like i hope they don't put him up there for six more yeah my, my least favorite uh i don't know maybe i guess it's kind of a cliche is like oh mcdavid scores no matter who you put with with them so like may as well put your worst player with them uh it's like I just I hate that. Like he'll always score more if you put better players with him. Play skills. He's not just McDavid. a place to go to hide someone. Like hundred percent best player in the world. He deserves to play with other good players. hundred percent. McDavid can score no matter who you put up there. But hundred percent true. Also, McDavid will score more if you don't put Zach Cassian up there. Exactly. Dang. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah. old play skill with skill, man. I just it seems like a pretty obvious thing there. That has eluded the others for a long time. Um, all right. He's not going to win a, a streetcar race with a with a boot on the car, you know? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Another good analogy. Oh, we're, we're full there of them go. today. I couldn't remember what the boot was called. And I was halfway through, I'm pleasantly surprised I remembered. <laughs> Corey opens his mouth to start talking. Is like, I hope our this guys, word yeah. comes to me. <laughs> all right. So we're moving on to some uh, different non-Oilers related topics, but hey, it could still affect them in some way. Um, the standings in the north have gotten very interesting lately. Montreal is all of a sudden um, under threat from the Calgary Flames in that fourth spot uh, for the last playoff spot. I think the Flames are, I believe, four points behind the Canadians, but the Canadians have a game in hand. Um, should we worry about the Flames actually making a late season comeback? Or should we worry? And I think this is a good point that I'm going to make. I think we should worry more about the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks, I'd say, have a higher ceiling. I mean, they have more possible remaining points. Uh, I was just looking at Money Puck a second ago, and they still they have uh, 
the Habs are in the low 70s for playoff percentage. The the Flames are in the low 20s and, and the Canucks are under 10, like like seven and a half or something like that. So in terms of the odds, like the Flames are still more likely to catch the 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 Habs, but their best possible scenario is only 18 more points. So 63 total points, I believe. Um, I really should have had the numbers up when I said those, but whatever, I'm going off the top of my head. Um, whereas oh, the, Canucks have, the Canucks have 13 or 15 games left. So they still have 30 remaining points. So sure. The Canucks, I, like, I don't think the Canucks are as good a team as the flames going forward, but just with all their remaining games, there's just so many more possible outcomes for them. So, yeah, I mean, they could get hot. They could be a, a team that makes sport. I think it's still probably going to be the halves. Like so this is the point in the podcast where I laugh at both of you for saying that the Flames were probably like not making the playoffs like three episodes ago, right? Yeah, I still don't think they're making the playoffs, but they're making I, it I interesting. Will, but... No, and it, it's that's, possible. That, that's one of the, uh, I don't know, I guess one of the joys of the, the last stretch is where teams try to play spoiler. So whether or not the Flames do, I think is, uh, it definitely adds something to talk about at the very least, you know. Um, we're not looking at that, you know, central division where you're like, ah, three of you have already clinched and there's two, it's one of the, these two remaining guys that are, you know, 50, <laughs> 50 on these guys. Cause nobody else is even close, you know? So I think that it's interesting. Um, like Corey was saying, if anyone, if it is anyone, I think it'll probably be the flames. Um, but it could on the outside chance be the Canucks, I guess. Um, for the Canucks, I just think, you know, they, they've come back. Um, they've got a lot to prove and they've been really hot since they've come back. But they, they uh, I don't know how sustainable it is for them, right? Like, um, yeah. yeah. as a team, they just went through, you know, something that really depleted the health and the wellness of their players. So, you know, five or seven or 10 games of really good hockey, okay. But like 15 games of really good hockey, that's slightly more difficult to manage. And then going into a playoff spot. Um, Schedule's brutal for them down the stretch too with all those games. Yeah, because they've got to do so many back-to-back-to-back-to-backs, right? Yeah. Or, you know, three and four or four and fives to, to make them all up. Yeah, um, I think the safe bet, uh, again, is Montreal. But it's it's nice to see at least a, a little bit of a, a tense playoff uh, race in the, in the North Division. Um, I mean... Theoretically, I wouldn't mind Montreal getting knocked out because well, after those overall, last two games, I wouldn't mind it at all. <laughs> overall, I think the Oilers have done better against Calgary than they did against Montreal through the course of the season. So, like, if I have to pick my poison of who I think they have a better chance of beating, it's uh, it's Calgary. Yeah, on the odd right? chance they are able to take out the Leafs, and uh, it's a better, it's a better second round matchup for the Oilers if if the Oilers can get a, a, a ahead of the Jets, if that's the or at the very least matchup. the Flames could batter the heck out of the the Leafs for me, so that they're a, a softened up Leafs team, you know. Absolutely. No, Either I, which I way, agree. I think uh, Calgary could make it interesting for us. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you mentioned a little bit about the uh, playing the spoiler role, and and Oilers fans are super used to that over the last decade or so. But uh, they also have a chance to do it once again to the uh, the Flames uh, with the week ahead for the Oilers. They play Winnipeg on Monday and Wednesday. The Jets will be looking for revenge because the Oilers have had their number in recent games. But on Thursday and Saturday, the Oilers play the Calgary Flames. If the Oilers win one of those, it's a significant dent 
into their playoff chances. If they win both of them, I think they've put Calgary to bed. I think they're done for the season if they lose both those games to the Oilers. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. And uh, I, I noticed I, I was checking the, the betting lines uh, for tomorrow's game, and it, it was, or at least when I checked, a dead pick between the Oilers and the Jets. So so the uh, the odds makers seem to think that the Oilers and the Jets are extremely evenly matched. And I mean, looking at the standings, that's, that's pretty true. So uh, that's interesting, though, because the Oilers were consistently favored against them earlier in the year. And then I think in their last matchup, they were the Oilers were underdogs, even though, and then they ended up winning. So it's kind of interesting how, how the odds makers have gone and gone back and forth a little bit between the Jets and the Oilers. Um, but I, I certainly like that that matchup for the Oilers um, in, in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, I mean, how awesome would it be to end all playoff hopes for the Flames? That's just that's be one of the fans' dreams. It's the type year. of thing the Oilers fans live for. And Corey, yeah. I think part of the reason it's such a I pick them with the Oilers and the Jets, and you guys have talked about this extensively. So the Oilers and the Jets play a similar style of hockey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it really is like a flip of a coin. Like, is McDavid going to have uh, his afterburners on tonight and like make their goalies look like they came out of the WHL or is, you know, um, is the, the defense going to completely fold, you know, like it's such a hard thing um, since they play so similar um, in style, like it's so hard to pick, you know, yeah, I think I think we, I mentioned this on a or maybe it was Corey or, or maybe even you, Shona, that said this. Um, both teams play run and gun styles of hockey. That was and Corey. It was Corey. That, that was one hundred percent Corey. Uh, both teams play <laughs> run and gun styles of hockey, and the team with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle probably has the edge in that type of game on most nights, uh, no matter who you put up against them. Yeah. Those are I fun mean, games to watch. I love. Oh, they're watching. they're fantastic. Yes. I, I love. Very excited for this uh, week. When the Jets aren't playing the Oilers, I, I I love cheering for the Jets. Um, especially if they're in the playoffs and the Oilers are not, they're my team. Um, but when the Oilers are head to head against them, it's it's so much fun to watch all that talent on the ice. I think those are the two best top sixes. Uh, in Western Canada, you could probably make a case that Toronto has a better top six, of course, but I don't want to talk about that. Um, but two high scoring fun teams to watch. I'm I'm looking forward to it this week. Yes. Yeah, no, it'll be a good uh, series for um, the Oilers. And I mean, a good, like we say, if the Jets are their potential playoff match, it'll be a good, another good, you know, check-in. Absolutely. Where do we, where do we measure up, you know? Yep, a good measuring stick week. Again, it feels like I say this every week, but uh, I don't know, the others keep us on our toes. That's going to do it uh, for this week's episode of the Copper and Blue Podcast. Uh, Thank you to Corey and Shona for coming on. And thank you to you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. And hopefully by the time we talk next week, the Oilers will go four and oh. Isn't that right, Corey? Yeah, sure. Why not? Three and one, three and one. Okay, well, Shona's okay. Pretty optimistic for you, Shona pretty optimistic hey, I, I went one and one last week that was pretty optimistic for me too oh, and you got i just would team. really like them to win both against calgary and i think if they get one against winnipeg that'd be yeah, great four and oh four oh and oh we're getting um 12 points is that or eight points i can't do math i'm not in university i have <laughs> no are, idea you know, i think it should be 12 now, we gotta talk about how the 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 point system has to change at some point That's this is like what? it wasn't broadcast. me being bad at math it was me it was me lobbying for that that three point point system All right. Thanks Ah, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.